You're listening to the Jam Session Radio Hour. Uh, this is your host, John Landis. This is part two of an interview that we did in October 2020 with Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris, both of whom are longtime members of the music industry and people who faci- have facilitated over the years bringing to you live and recorded music and knowledge about those. Ashley Kahn has been an author of note, a music journalist, and a celebrated figure in music journalism, especially jazz. Joel Chris, his longtime buddy, has also, is also very well known in the jazz world for bringing venues and musicians together and making sure that musicians and venues can enjoy going forward with jazz. So we appreciate the fact that they were available to us for an interview. It was a real privilege to meet them both. Rafael Alvarez was our producer during the interview. And let's just get back to the interview and some, some uh, music as well. Was there is there a continuum, um, Ashley and, uh, and and Joel? Is there a continuum between what was happening in in the late fifties uh, and into the early sixties in the jazz world, and that and then what you know with the, and then the Beatles and introducing us into what you know what the sixties brought? I mean, we're talking about uh, you know I'm fascinated kind of by uh, we know well the story of the sixties. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, but I I personally don't know as well the story of the fifties and what was going on there. In the in the jazz world, um, are there parallels, or do you see it as one continuum, or do you see it as as, as two different things that were flourishing, two separate? No, I think there's elements. connectivity, but uh, yeah, let, let I mean, ask... it, listen, the the river of music, you know, uh, and the musical styles and the music family tree that Joel is talking about, it just grows and flourishes and doesn't worry about what year it is and what 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 scene is popular or what styles are you know ha- are the trend at that moment. Everything connects and everything is available, and especially now. You know, with the internet and with Spotify, et cetera, and everything being one click away, um, you can examine so much history and so much legacy of musical expression that is part of, you know, our human culture, uh, that uh, everything speaks to everything. And music is one of those amazing forces that defies this kind of um, categorization, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and and the idea of dividing music along uh, lines of ethnicity or generational, you know, distinctions, you know, um, music is always talking to itself, and it it's like water flowing, mm-hmm. you know, it it it's a it's such a strong natural force that of course there's arguments of taste, of course there's um, 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 filters of, of uh, this is the music I grew up with, right. this is the music of my people, etc. And, and it connects in that way too. But I think in, in the long run, you know, uh, wh- what was happening in the 60s that was so special in that one narrow moment in time is that there was this very conscious effort on a very culture-wide kind of um, uh, uh, breadth, you know, uh, or generation to, like, put away those categories and those walls of distinction. And suddenly you had people who had Jimi Hendrix and the early blues and Robert Johnson and Led Zeppelin next to uh, recordings by Coltrane mm-hmm. and Duke Ellington and Louis mm-hmm. Armstrong and Miles. Mm-hmm. 
If you're listening to WLIW FM 88.3 in New York, Long Island's only NPR station, um, this is John Landis with the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we're interviewing Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris tonight. So let's get back to the interview. And suddenly we weren't defining ourselves by these kind of audience demographics that is a big part of, you know, the music business, yeah. which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, but like um, Bill Graham in the Fillmore did he did he put on jazz did he have of course i mean you know Mm -hmm. bill graham was just one reflection Mm -hmm. of this idea that you know he would put on a charles lloyd and if you wanted to make it to moby grape or to hear buffalo springfield or to hear uh you know the paul butterfield blues band you had to listen also to charles lloyd Mm -hmm. you know miles You know, there's I, I, in fact, I used to have a poster where Rasan Roland Kirk is opening for Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. you know, at the Fillmore East, uh, Fillmore West, rather. You know, uh, I mean, that that kind of like. Uh, so there, there wasn't this feeling in, in, the, in the kind of if you can call it such a thing and I, in the jazz world that they were being upstaged somehow, you know. Uh, and run around or are they they were on the kind of the short end of the commercial stick because of the popularity you're generalizing of in a way that i can't respond to okay. because you know when you say the jazz world right. every jazz of uh, um uh, performer has a slightly different view mm-hmm. um and of course there's going to be a sort of proprietary uh kind of feel i think in any musical world mm-hmm. where it's like uh we were here we did this, we pioneered that, et cetera, et cetera, you know, um, and they should, they should be very proud of the history that they helped build and what they carry with them. At the same time, you know, there's, there's a lot of where the business side of things, as, as you were saying, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, um, uh, invades that, that this kind of, uh, uh, sense of hierarchy, you know, and, 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 uh, merit, and of course compensation but that's a whole nother argument and that's a whole nother conversation mm-hmm. you know and you're going to find that in any any uh, aspect of creative expression in the art world in the visual art world in in theater you know in literature etc you know there's going to be that idea of like this generation versus that generation what i'm saying is that after a while you know, um, and this comes from like teaching a course on Led Zeppelin and the next semester I'm teaching about Aretha and soul music and the next semester on John Coltrane is that there's more in common with that type of, uh, with all of these musics. I mean, think of it this way, you know, what we're talking about is such a narrow focus of time. It's a blink of an eye as far as human evolution. But the the quality of music that has happened in the 20th century, that has been recorded, that has been disseminated, that has become a way of language around this planet is amazing. Mm -hmm. But it has happened in such a small little sliver of when you consider the totality of human history, you know, and, you know, things change. So what was it? What's the line for you between uh, your, your career as a writer and, and your career, uh, there's, there probably is no line, but um, talk about the evolution of, of you becoming a, a teacher and how, and how this, and how this um, also finds itself as a part of current American culture. I mean, I think of yeah. the students, 
I think of the students, I'm trying to th maybe talk about that a little bit, because yeah. these students that you're teaching are between 18 and 22, and right? 22, yeah. And so they're getting so, started. Yeah. And I've, I've, always, I've always remarked with my children, and even with my grandchildren, on how they are familiar with, you know, Dylan. And they're familiar, maybe they're not so familiar with Miles, but, you know, they should be. But these, they're familiar with the things that came from the 60s and the 50s, and it just seems to layer and layer and layer, and here we are in 2020. So you've got 18 to 22-year-olds that you're teaching. Right. What's their response to the canon that you're teaching them about? Well, first of all, you know, when you teach, um, you know, the, the books that I've done, I've, I've tried to give it a sort of structural approach that is um, friendly to anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to be a jazz enthusiast to to dive into say the book on love supreme to connect with it to understand the stories and relevancy and how you know john coltrane's life and his uh mission and his uh you know um intentions you know kind of connect to anybody who wants to ha be able to express themselves with with uh, a certain um way of of meaning to to as large an uh, uh, audience as possible you know and we like to think that we have something to say and that we want to share it with people so there's a human kind of quality that I try and bring out of every story that I tell that is going to connect with anybody on at, of any experience or any background. Mm -hmm. That's number one, you know. Number two is the idea that with students, they're usually sponges still at that point. You know, the, 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 the doorways to the heart and to the brain and to the spirit are wide open. You know, they're, they're, they're hungry for knowledge. Mm -hmm. They're hungry for details. And they're hungry for kind of a connectivity to who they are at this point in time. So conveying a sort of modern relevancy for music that is already 50, 60, 70 years old is a very important part of what I do in my teaching as well. And also in my writing, you know, and I try and find modern analogs, parallels to, to what, you know, John Coltrane was trying to do. Uh, he was very aware of the power of words and he tried to use words in a way, even though he was an instrumentalist, he based melodies on the way that words sounded in a preacher's sermon or in a Martin Luther King speech after Birmingham, uh, the famous Birmingham bombing, mm -hmm. you know, in which four school children were, were killed um, uh, in the church in Birmingham, uh, you know. Um, so the idea of music and message, word and sound, is something that is absolutely what is at the root of hip-hop, you know. So when Kendrick Lamar does a, a tune like All Right, and it becomes the theme, the anthem of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, this is going back to 2015 and the Ferguson riots, um, you know, uh, and here we are still, you mm -hmm. know, today, um, you know, I see more of a connection in that way with John Coltrane than, than you know, um, uh, 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 than most people realize. Mm -hmm. And that I need to... To, because I cannot recreate what 1965 was like when Love Supreme came out. 
there's no way that any any student, no matter how passionate or enthusiastic they are about John Coltrane, are going to be able to recreate that historic moment in their own minds, in their own hearts. However, there's a way to convey that that relevancy, that in the moment kind of relevancy, mm -hmm. because it continues to happen in oh, the yeah. music world. So that's another priority that I try and put out there. The the other thing, and this is not to to be a Cassandra or anything about it, is that, you know, some of the giants that our generation think will never pass away, it's hard to do a Beatles class now because you can't get enough students to take it, mm -hmm. you know? And the popularity and the understanding and the knowledge of the importance of, say, the Beatles, which was like, you know, they were the, you know, the, the Himalayas for us, mm -hmm. you know, of music making in the 60s. That's starting to fade. Hmm. Add on another 50 years and, you know, they'll, they will be a historical, you know, very important historically, but they won't have that same enthusiasm and uh, engendering the same enthusiasm that they did for, for us. Is, is there something about, you know... Is there something about the Beatles and that phenomenon in particular? I mean, compared to some of the other things that you're teaching right now, are there other things that, that the, the students still, maybe of the same age or even older, uh, in terms of, of, of the history, uh, history of music, that they are gravitating towards as opposed to this music of the 60s? Um, I, I just think that the, there was something that happened in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, there was an explosion of, of musical creativity, of rethinking mm -hmm. uh, musical forms and genres during that time period mm -hmm. that uh, was unlike any other, you know, of recent... Uh, so, for instance, what classes that you're teaching now are the ones that you would find easiest to get students to come to? Uh, uh, to well, I'm teaching a course on Talking Heads. You know? Talking Heads. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and David Byrne and, you know, his approach and the, the rest of the band, you know, to, to the idea of, like, how you could bring a conceptual art background and uh, this idea of uh, the cerebral approach to music making and make it work even with... So that's a more popular course right now. Well, I'm not saying it's a more popular course. Uh -huh. It just happens to be the course that I'm teaching, and teaching. I have, and I've been, and there's no pro, there's an awareness of the of the Talking Heads. I'm not voting here, by the way. I'm not. No. I'm not saying no, one but I think versus it's, it's the fascinating. other. You know. You know. I mean, the, the time talking changes heads, is yeah, what I'm I mean, saying. The talking Heads you know, were the '70s and you know, the '80s, as opposed to the, you know, the Beatles, who were, were short-lived, but their music. Well, you know, yes or no, I mean, their music. impact has, has no, been for sure. incredible. Yeah. You know, let's meet again in 10 years and I'll let you know if, sure. I, if there's enough popularity with... But David Burns you know. is a really good example of another person, seems yeah. to me, oh, that yeah. you could put in the category of, a, of you know, a George Harrison or, or a Carlos Santana, somebody who is a, is a beacon and a, and a sponge as well. You use that word, that term, but for various different kinds of music and continues to yeah. have that spiritual layer on it. I think in talking to my students, I also show them there, there's so many doorways to, to penetrate a, a, a musical life and a musical career of, of importance, whether it's a John Coltrane or a David Byrne or a George Harrison or a Carlos Santana, and that they should think about it on a multitude of levels and, and think about the business side 
as well as the uh, conceptual side, as well as the spiritual side? What was it that motivated these artists to find their own sound? And how did they go about finding that individual voice, which is so damn important Mm -hmm. in jazz, but also other music, you know? How did they disengage from the, 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 the cliches and tropes of their age to find out who they were, you yeah. know, uh, whether it was a band or individual artist, etc. You know, I know, I mean, Joel can talk about this. The idea of like speaking your story, finding your voice in jazz is one of the paramount ideals that you hear, you know, being spoken about, you know, backstage, on the stage, mm-hmm. you know, in jazz schools. Yeah, and but I'm happy that this interview, as we planned it to be, is really um, centered on your experience as a teacher, as a writer. Um, and I'd like to ask you a couple questions about uh, comparing, contrasting. Um, was there anything about George Harrison that you... Um, was surprised by after doing the research that you weren't quite uh, aware of prior yeah. to the book or you can take the same question with, with Carlos Santana as well yeah I mean it, 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 you know the, the thrill of discovery in doing any research project is what you're always hoping for and with George Harrison by the way I should mention that the title is George Harrison on George Harrison Interviews and Encounters by Chicago Review Press. It was, it's part of a series called Musicians in Their Own Words. So my whole sort of idea behind this was a sort of anti-journalistic gesture, which was to allow George to speak for himself as much as possible. So a lot of the research that went into the 40-odd interviews and speeches and correspondence that's in this book is trying to find the original tapes the original interview tapes or the original transcripts so that George's own words are kind of purely there with minimal journalistic filter, you know? So whether it was a BBC interview, well, if it was an electronic interview like a radio or TV broadcast back in the 60s, that's easy. Just find the original thing and, and, and put George's words in there. But in the case of like some stuff in the 80s uh, and dealing with colleagues of mine in the rock journalism world, Anthony DeCurtis, um, uh, you know, who was at Rolling Stone, still is connected to Rolling Stone for many years. Um, uh, Mark Rowland, who was the co-editor of Musician Magazine along with Bill Flanagan. These guys were, I was able to reach them and get a hold of their, or Timothy White, who was at Billboard for many years. Um, and all of their interviews with George Harrison, I was able to get to the original, original stuff and found it much more interesting. I mean, and then next to it, there's TV interviews with, um, uh, you know, Dick Cavett in 71 sure. or um, uh, Michael Aspel, you know, who's a, a talk show host, really good talk show host over at the BBC. Did, did uh, George... In the, uh, the the whole breadth of the interview and live interview process, were the things he brought up over and over again were there repetitions? No, there 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 was there was. I mean, of, of course, come on, the Beatles. 
He's, okay. he, he had to talk about the Beatles from the point that he was in the Beatles <laughs> to, to right. you know, his, his deathbed. You know, he had no choice, you know, and I wish he was still here to, to speak about it. I just wish he was still here, you know, mm-hmm. period. Um, although maybe, you know, if he was looking at the headlines of today, oh, my God, you know. You would have found um, some songs to write about. Talk about getting dispirited.
You are listening to WLIW-FM 88.3, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour, and tonight we've got the privilege of interviewing Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris. Um, you know, I, but he, you know, uh, his development over time was done so publicly and so in, in the middle of this huge spotlight um, and yet he remains so damn authentic. I think, you know, Joel, to go back to your original question, what was the biggest surprise? It was that even when he was covering the same topic again and again and again, first of all, there was a, a progress in his view, let's say, of the Beatles that changed over time. You know, it had to. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, when he was still in the middle of these legal fights with Paul McCartney, especially in the in the late 70s and early 80s, you know, there was a lot of, you, you can read it into, you can feel it coming off of his words that, you know, he was not happy, you know, about the Beatles' memory. But that at a certain point towards the end of the 90s, or, sorry, to the end, towards the end of the 80s, when the finally the long and winding agreement was reached but an Apple Corps could continue to exist and the Beatles moved, moved on and he had you know, his son, Danny, who was becoming aware of, oh, daddy was famous. Oh, daddy was in a band called the Beatles. You know, it's hilarious to read these stories of like how he's interacting with his own son and, 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 um, trying to uh, explain to his son who the Beatles were. And of course, at a certain point, uh, he finally has to perform with, with Eric Clapton at the, um, this is the Prince's Trust, you know, because George was not a touring Beatle or ex-Beatle. You know, he, he, uh, he did that one tour in 1974, and that was it. He never toured again after that. He did appearances, but he didn't tour. And so he he does this one appearance with uh, Eric Clapton, and they're doing, of course, the uh, material you expect him to do. You know, uh, here comes the sun, and while my guitar gently weeps, etc. And he asks his son, you know, so what did you think of the show? And he goes, you know, I, 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 why didn't you do Roll Over Beethoven? Why didn't you do uh, Twist and Shout? Those are the tunes I want to hear. So he had, his son had fallen in love with that period of the Beatles, you know. And, um, you know, I can't help but think about your, your question, John, about, you know, how do you convey the spirit of the, of the Beatles all these years later to mm-hmm. students who are 18, 19, 20? And, ex- and it's, you have to explain the context as much as the music itself. You have to explain the social and cultural forces that were at work as much as, you know, who the individuals were who mm-hmm. were making this genius music for mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. Do you have another question, Joel? Yeah, uh, let's move on to uh, Carlos. Uh, because that isn't the same format, a uh, book format, as your work would George, that's a different kind of uh, structure. It, it's it's sort of trying to let uh, Carlos's words and spirit shine okay. without any journalistic, you know, filter as well. Yeah, it's an autobiography. You mm-hmm. know, it's Carlos's stories and it's Carlos's history and Carlos's memories told by Carlos in Carlos's voice. Mm-hmm. So, as a writer, as less of a writer and more of an editor. 
on that project. Actually, I'm an editor on the project with George as well. So you're absolutely right. There are parallel situations. On in, Was that done through a series of, of interviews with Carlos? Is that how you, you did it? Two and a half year period. Two and a half year yeah, periods of, of talking yeah. to him. Uh, in restaurants, on on you know flights while he's on tour, uh -huh. in hotel rooms, in uh, in his car as he's tooling around Las Vegas where he lives. Okay, you know that's great. Yeah, that yeah. that was that was that project. Right. Yeah. Anything about those two iconic rock and roll legends that you could say uh, there's a thread between absolutely absolutely they both came out of very dire circumstances working class backgrounds fell in love with music by way of the electric guitar and by way of the electric blues you know the um you know you can call it rock and roll but you know back in the 50s it was all the blues basically blues structures uh, string bending and uh, speaking through this very new contraption called the electric guitar, you know, and where they took it from there and how this music um, uh, propelled them to a height of fame and fortune at such a young age. You know, Carlos was 22 when he was at Woodstock with Santana. Uh, um, you know, uh, the, the Beatles broke and were huge around the world when 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 George was 22. So there's a lot of parallels between the both of them. But I think the biggest parallel is how they both integrated a very strong sense of spirituality, you know, uh, without giving up their religious roots that they built on their religious. It wasn't like they said, I'm gonna take this Judeo-Christian tradition that I came out of and just ignore it. They built on top of it, changed it, reformatted a lot of ideas that they took from, in, in both cases, a lot from the East, Eastern spiritual paths, in the case of, 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 of George especially, from the Hare Krishna movement, and applied it to this own singular kind of spiritual vision that they each developed over time. So you could say they kind of created their own religious path, but the, I'd, I'd be misusing the word religious because they weren't creating a religion. Mm -hmm. They were creating a way of, um, um, you know, connecting with the divine, this, this idea that there's a divine spark in every one of us and that God is a, is, it's not God, it's more a godness, you know, that we all share. And so, you know, you do away with that idea of a bearded figure on a cloud with a lightning bolt in his hand, and you, you realize we are the lightning bolts. We, are, we all add up to that lightning bolt, that divine connection. And, uh, you know, namaste. Yeah, you know? namaste. Namaste. You know? well, that's, uh, music is, is the universal communicator. Exactly. Right? And... Um, so it's, it, it's, it's evidence of that force. Yeah. And, it, and to me, it's fascinating, too, that, that your careers, it kind of takes us back to the beginning of the conversation, your careers, in both cases, you recognized this passion early on and it just took you. Yeah. And it wasn't like any kind of a calculation. It was like, no, I'm gonna, not by plan. <laughs> and it wasn't any kind of a calculation. And, yeah. uh, and you're Lack evincing calcul the... Calcul calculation. Yeah. Lack of it, really. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If we calculate, you can't get into this line of work by saying 
here's the steps to do it because there's no manual out there to tell us I mean there's probably a day or an hour in a day where we probably thought about going to business school or going to law school it it lasted for me maybe between lunch and dinner Uh, because my mind immediately took me to what does that where will that leave me in five or ten years and the picture of that did not appeal to me yeah right right so it's part of a a kind of improvised way of creating a life which somehow mirrors the the musical improvisation music itself yeah yeah and, and i think it's that message that we picked up on yeah uh early on in our lives that you don't in order to make a song or the song of your life, you don't really sit down and write a melody, a rhythm, lyrics, and boom, there it is. These things uh, have a magical flow to them and they come together through time, through long-term efforts, and through really figuring out what's in your heart and how you want to spend these... uh, these years that we have yeah, yeah. breathing and living yeah. on the planet and uh, if you can figure that out fairly early and you're not intimidated yeah but by the adults in your life at that point and i i think that's that to me that was crucial i had parents who left me alone in certain ways in order to not not because that was their parenting style they were going on with they had their own problems and issues and and questions in their own life and that left me enough time to say there isn't there's no assembly line there's no escalator to get on that drops you off at the second floor and that's where the stuff you want to buy is is shelved um they left me alone to hang with friends yeah, yeah. And to listen to music and to share. They made our house open to the people that were in my life at that time. And uh, my father was a lawyer. My father, but he, he didn't follow much of a path either. He got to some more respected place than I, I think the, the, the society thinks of how we lived our lives. But I watched him build his life and he... He didn't follow any particular step-by-step method either. And I think if you can open up your mind and read books and talk, be around people who have built their own life on their own terms, um, and that's not to say selfishly, or some people might phrase it like that, but um, allow your your life to have the kind of freedom which will allow it to grow in the direction it needs to grow rather than trimming it back all the time and allow a little wildness in your life, especially when you're younger. Yeah. Well, I think it's yeah, a great... Uh... Yeah, a great coda to uh, to what to the conversation we've been well, having. I'll just I'll just add that uh, you know George Harrison, you know, uh, his whole idea of why we're here is to be on the planet to evolve mm-hmm. while we're here, right, and to leave it in a better shape than when we first arrived. 
Thanks so much for being with us tonight. This is part two of a two-part show involving an interview, revolving around an interview of Ashley Kahn and Joel Chris, two very interesting members of the greater jazz uh, music community um, in the U.S. and internationally. We appreciate the privilege of having that we've had to uh, interview them, to learn uh, about them and about their lives and about their experience in this wonderful industry that we call the music business. Thanks so much for joining us. Clayus Brondahl is our music director. I'm John Landis, your host. Rafael Alvarez is our sound editor and producer. Uh, we appreciate your being with us always. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll catch you next time on the Jam Session Radio Hour. And good night. Thank you.